Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. The Women in Tech podcast brought to you by 100% Electric Nissan Leaf. Hello and welcome to the Women in Tech podcast series powered by 100% Electric Nissan Leaf with me, Samantha McCochran, business editor of the Sunday Independent. For this series, I'll be speaking to Irish women involved in tech who are dispelling myths and breaking down barriers. On this episode, I'm joined by Ingrid Devon, who is director of Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network, which creates a forum for global women founders and CEOs to share best practices, build business contacts and explore international expansion. The network travels around the world hosting events and was in Dublin earlier this year focusing on Women Funding Women. I spoke to Ingrid about this event, as well as her own career and the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network. Ingrid, Dell does an annual survey which looks at women across the globe in cities and how the environment suits them from an entrepreneurial point of view. It's called the Dell Women Entrepreneur Cities. How does Dublin do in that? So... We did it last in 2017, and we're doing it again this year. So we'll be relaunching the new um, High Dublin Does in July. In the last one, Dublin came number 34. Okay, that doesn't okay. sound very good. It, it's, it's not, and th- there's a number of areas when we look at it. So when the survey is done, we measure five areas, okay? And those five areas are the size of the market. So obviously Dublin is a pretty small market when you compare it to somewhere like the Bay Area or New York, which are top of the list, or, or the UK is number three. Um, we do it access to capital. So that we know is, is a bit of a challenge for us. Um, access to technology, the culture for women um, and access to talent. So, you know, some of the areas where Dublin does really well is, you know, around that access to talent. We've got really good universities and colleges. Um, so we're really su- well supported. Um, obviously, the size of the market, we're a small market and, and funding is a challenge for us here. We definitely know that. That's one of the reasons we ha- we brought one of our um, our global events, Women Funding Women to Dublin. And tell me about that. What exactly did that offer to women? I think it was to give some guidance, some insights, first-hand experience. What, what was it, the event like? Sure, yeah. So let me just preface that by saying Women Funding Women was on a global tour this year. Um, in the last 18 months, we've been to 17 cities around the world. So uh, really interesting and seeing different perspectives. We brought it to Dublin in early February. And the aim of the event is really to look at So it's women funding women. There's kind of two things that we're trying to do. One is we're trying to highlight those female investors that are out there, that are supporting women entrepreneurs. But we're also trying to tell the women, this is how you go about getting funding. And when we held this event, we held it in Huckletree. Um, We actually, it was great. Um, I, I did an interview the morning of the event. We were booked out. We had to turn people away, which is absolutely brilliant. So lots of interest. So huge amount of interest. I also think that highlights the absolute challenge that is there. 
Um, and, and what we did was we brought um, an entrepreneur and an investor together um, and we asked them to tell their story. Um, and we, so we really wanted the women to understand this is how you go about doing it. So we call it a bit of a marriage. We say it's like marriage. How did you get together? How did you meet? How did you decide to kind of date? Um, but we call it a marriage with a divorce in view because you will end, you know, you, you know, you're going to exit. Yes. You know, you're going to exit at, at a certain stage. But we really want them to tell their story in a very much in a story format. So the women in the audience here, my God, that's how you do it. And yes, you do have to go to so many networking events to find your investors. And you will be told no, you will be told maybe. And then hopefully you'll eventually find the one that works for you. And we've seen so many different stories. We've done these events all around the world. Um, but it's that real important thing that the women need to realise they need to keep trying. They need to really think about how much funding they want and not be shy about that. Because the research in Ireland has shown that on average, the, the funding deals for women are around 2 million. They're around 4.9 million for men. So the women need to be asking for more funding. And is that a confidence thing? It's something we have talked about in this series with some of the other guests. Do women inherently just have a lack of confidence? They're just not as ballsy going out there and asking for the money. No, I actually don't think it's a lack of confidence. Um, and I've worked in the gender area for a long time and I'm always really cautious about fixing the women because we don't need to be fixed. Samantha, you and I, we're, we're fine. <laughs> we're OK. Yeah, and women in general don't need to be fixed. I think it's sometimes women, women are more risk, not averse, but risk aware. Um, Which probably serves well in lots of walks in of life. Lots of, in lots of areas of life. And it's why you need a gender balance. You need some people who will take the risk and you'll some people who think about the risk. And, and you know, what sh risk should I take and be really cautious. Um, so, no, I, I think it's that there's a number of issues. Maybe confidence is one of them. But also the interesting, some of the data shows that women, when they get their funding, they go for a higher percentage of grants. Okay. Men also go look external to Ireland as well. So I think women, um, I think confidence, that's for both men and women. It's tough. You're, it's also thinking about, I've also heard a lot of women saying they don't want to give away part of their company. They just hold on to They're, it. They like it. So I think they, it is that confidence about thinking, asking for more. I also think it's not just looking in Ireland. And we see that, that a lot of the funding, some of the, the male entrepreneurs are getting, they're getting it abroad. So it's to think not just of this market, but think externally. And I remember talking to one of our own entrepreneurs in Cork, and she said to me, when you want the big deals, you got to go outside of Ireland. Think big. Yeah, you've really got to think big. And the event Women Funding Women, unfortunately, most of the time, it is men funding everybody because the, yeah. that's where the vast amount of money is coming from. And also the statistics on VC funding are, are a bit... Uh, you know, disappointing because actually the yes. percentages of women entrepreneurs getting it are very small and, and, and lots of different surveys give more or less kind of similar results. So when women are essentially pitching to men, do they have to think really think about how they're approaching this? And do we need to educate the male funders and VC community about maybe looking at things a little bit differently? Absolutely. Um, so to give you an idea, we have at one of our global events this year, we're, we're doing a, a session on access to capital. And for that very reason, we have a male investor and a female investor. And we're asking them to tell their stories. Why would they invest in a company? And we're quite interested to see, you know, what would be the different perspectives? Um, I think also there's conscious bias out there and there's unconscious bias. So when a lot, historically, when a lot of the investors, they're not used to investing people who look like you and me and have long hair and we talk differently and we present differently. So... I think you do always have to keep your authentic self and we should never try and be somebody else. Um, and, and I think that's really, really crucial. 
But I do think you do have to think who you're presenting to. Um, and sometimes that is a little bit sad. I spoke to one entrepreneur a while ago. She was in the Netherlands and she said to me, her co-founder is male. And she said, depending on who we're pitching to, I'll pitch or he'll pitch. Okay, so because we know in some cases he'll be more successful, but in some cases I'll be more successful. Okay, so know your strengths as well. I mean, you might think it's a bit disappointing that maybe a male might be better, but upon saying that you have to maybe live with reality and think to your advantage. Yes, I think you do, but I think you always have to still be your true self. Um, and I think one of the most important things as well is you've got to find an investor. A lot of times, in particular women, I think when they're talking to an investor, the investor is interviewing them. But you also, and that's why we did this series, Women Funding Women, you have to find an investor that you can trust, who has your same vision for the company, not coming from a very different perspective. If you really want to achieve or you want to solve a problem, you need to make sure that you're both on the same path and you're aligned with your vision, with your honesty, the type of relationship that you want to have. So one of the other things we're doing at our event this year is instead of the usual where the investor interviews the entrepreneur, we're going to have an entrepreneur interview the two investors and kind of see why why would I choose you as an investor? Yes. So kind of turn the tables a little. Because that was one big feedback as we've got from as we did the women funding women, as we did those 17 cities, was the women really were saying, you know, the, the entrepreneurs was start interviewing your investor. Be really cautious about who you choose. Because as you said, it is a marriage and yes. it can be very messy if it doesn't work out. Yeah, you'd like to have a nice divorce, not a messy one. <laughs> and the and the events you're mentioning there, you do an international event every year yeah. and you bring together over, it's now over 100 women, entrepreneurs from all over the world. And, and why do you do that? Presumably there's quite a benefit in women from completely different worlds getting together. Is that part of what you yeah, see so as a benefit? A lot of the entrepreneurs we work with are what we say are scale-ups. And there are entrepreneurs who are doing business internationally. So maybe they've started the domestic market. And depending on the size of the domestic market, that could be enough if you're in China. That could be enough. But in other countries, to really grow and scale, you need to go internationally. So once a year, we, we bring women from around the world. Um, and we're bringing more investors now. We really started that as we did it last year when we did it in Canada. Um, so this year, we'll have about 18 countries represented. So what we find from the women is, if you're thinking of doing business, so maybe you're from Ireland and you're thinking of doing business in Asia or the US, it's really crucial to have your network. Your network is so, so important. I run a network. It's my life. It's my job. But for the women with, with their companies, if you want to find a new distributor, if you want to find a supplier, if you want to figure out what it's like to work with the government in that country, your best source is talking to the women who've already done it. And that's why we bring them together. And, you know, we bring them together over two and a half days. We have a really good agenda. Everything we talk about is about growing and scaling your business. So it's about the legal challenges. It's about the funding. It's about having the right technology. It's about your employee engagement. Um, and we have obviously we have inspirational women and we have speakers from, from right around the world. But when I see the women coming together, um, the, the magic of the event, Samantha, is the women with each other. You know, they come for the agenda and it's really good and we do it in a nice location. We're in Singapore this year. But we deliberately give long breaks. We give long lunch times. We have evening networking events because it's when they come together. That's when the magic Lots happens. Of chatting. There is so much discussion. If we don't give long breaks, we can't get them back in. But I spoke to one woman a while ago um, and she gave me feedback. She was an entrepreneur from the UK. Um, when she came to us last year, her business was worth about 19 million in revenue. And she was really trying to think, where do I go with my business? And that's what we find this event is really good. She said she went to the event. 
she took time out to think about herself and where she was going and where the business was going. And she said she met other women, women who were behind her and women who had reached maybe the 100 million. She came back and I, I loved reading her email. Um, and she said to me after the event, A, I broke with my business partner. She said, B, I got 8 million in funding and I'm going to grow my company from 19 million in revenue to 100 million. And she said, thank you so much. She said, because Dwen gave me, the Dwen Summit gave her the opportunity to sit back, to think, to reevaluate. And she said, I was so energized. And she said, I also found a new supplier. Wow. So she, and she came away with a vision. That's the, That's the big thing, isn't it? To actually think big, as we were saying earlier, to have, yeah. to, to listen to other stories and say, like, the ambition maybe of 10 million or 20 million isn't enough. Let's think 100 million. I think that's probably a really positive message to come out. Yeah. And, and that was it. I always remember um, Kate Hyde, one of our entrepreneurs from Cork, and she said to me, you know, she said years ago, she said, when you reach 5 million, you want to figure out how to get to 10. And when you're at 10, to get to 15. But there's no guidebook that tells you how to do that. What you need to do is you need to network and you need to meet the women who've got there and figure out their stories. And we also had our, it's also great for the, there's something about women coming together they really share. Um, I was at an event in London we did and there was um, a woman, she was telling me about how she set up in Australia. And she said, I wasted 250,000. She said, I set up and she said it didn't work. And I want to share that story so nobody else makes my mistakes. Share the failures as well. Share as the and I just thought, isn't that fantastic? She's saving somebody else from maybe making a similar mistake. And I think when you bring women together, they love to share. So one of the things when we do this event, when we have our orientation, every um, woman gets 30 seconds, your name, your company, what you want to get from the event and what you can give back. Fact. 17% of the 1.4 million people in the EU studying tech are women. The Women in Tech podcast is powered by 100% electric Nissan Leaf. Visit nissan.ie for more details. So you have a very broad view of the challenges for women across the world because obviously you did that event in Dublin we were talking about women funding women. You recently did one in India. Are the issues in countries such as India and maybe China very different from the kind of issues we would have in, in Dublin or even the UK? Or, or is there a common thread there? I think there, there is common, but there is difference. Um, and uh, even as we look around the world, the women, one thing we always take into account, so when we bring women to our global event, there is a criteria. Um, but in some countries, we're more flexible because we know the culture. So for some women in some of these countries, the culture for women, just being a businesswoman can be quite challenging. And that's something, obviously, that culture for women in Ireland is very different to what you will have in Ireland, maybe in Latin America or in India. So it, it varies. I, I think one of the things I saw in India was the absolute, the women were so vibrant. They were so enthusiastic. Um, they were incredibly noisy. When we had the event, they just couldn't stop to talking, asking questions. They want to do so well. And I really enjoyed, we were in Bangalore in India. It was absolutely incredible. Um, and then we were also in Tel Aviv. The women there, it, it's very interesting, Tel Aviv's an amazing culture for entrepreneurship. Um, because both the men and the women are in the army. So really high focus on, on IT. Um, very strong women in, in Tel Aviv. You'll see different cultures where women will be quieter in some areas. That's a culture. I think the funding issue tends to be quite broad. We see that everywhere. And we definitely hear the stories from the women. Um, you'll hear good and bad stories. But I also think what you see around the world is you see what the governments are doing to support. So we spent a lot of time in Canada last year and, you know, in Canada, the government has a fund of one, I think it's about 1.6 billion investing in women. They are tracking 
what the women are doing, where the funding is going. So we see, I think, this culture, this market, um, it's just the personalities, which I just found really, really interesting. Um, and I think there's the engagement of men in different countries as well will vary. In terms of your own career, yeah, you, I suppose a lot of people assume that somebody senior role in tech, you'll have to have a really big tech <laughs> background. But that's not necessarily true. But t- tell me a bit about what, what what you do in your in your career and how you got to where you are now. Okay, so yeah, I've had quite a varied. So I did start out in sales in tech companies, depending you, on your age. But do you have a tech? You don't have a tech no, qualification. No, no, I have. Gives a, us all hope. Yeah, no, I, I I did a social science degree from UCD, and then I went on to the Smurfit School. And uh, did a postgrad in business. Um, spent a year in France, getting a little bit of international exposure. Um, yeah, worked in sales for quite a while. Then went into tech sales in Gateway Two Thousand. Um, worked in Accenture. Also, I was a bit of an entre- well, not quite an entrepreneur. I, I worked in a, a call center setup with uh, another guy who set it up. But I don't think there's, there's so many roles within tech. In fact, one of the programs we do is called Digital Futures, which Dell does a lot with. A, other tech companies in Dublin, we go out to schools and we talk about careers in tech. And one of the things is you go into it through so many different ways. So my background is business. Um, I joined Dell, I spent 14 years ago, as head of diversity and inclusion for EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa. So that's an area I'm really passionate about. I probably wouldn't have left it if I hadn't been going into this area. So yes, I'm not a particularly tech background, as my kids will tell you, I'm not particularly tech even now. Um, so I think that's the really interesting thing. But I think if tech area is so interesting, so many new careers. There are so many different careers in tech. Um, and I think I'm an example of somebody who's gone a very different route. When I went into diversity and inclusion 14 years ago, most people really didn't know what diversity and inclusion was. Well, I'm sure there's a few people maybe listening who still aren't 100% sure what it means. But tell me what it means for, for your company, for Dell. So what diversity and inclusion means, it's about creating an environment where everyone has the opportunity to be successful. No matter who you are, your background, you can be successful because we're creating an inclusive culture. And, you know, this is Pride Month, by the way. The Pride Parade in Dublin is going to be on in the Saturday the 29th. I give a plug for it because I think it's an absolutely amazing event. And I, sh- I think it shows how inclusive Dublin has become. I walked in the Pride Parade with Dell last year and I was absolutely amazed to see many organisations who... I wouldn't have thought would have been walking in the Pride Parade were in the Pride Parade, who 10 years ago weren't. Um, and I just, I saw a picture yesterday on Facebook and it was two Garda cars and they had all the Pride colours. And that's about being inclusive. And that's what we're trying to do. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, you should have the opportunity. But you need to have an inclusive culture. If the culture doesn't make it easy for you to be successful. So if I take for an example, I work remotely a lot because I'm in a global role. For some people, if you weren't based in an organisation, you know, in a city centre office, you mightn't be able to work for a particular company. We say talent can be anywhere. Talent can be all over Ireland. And some of our employees are are in offices and some are working remotely. It's it's flexible. But we're being able to access talent wherever it could be, you know. And do you think the attitude has changed in the last 10 years? You're saying at the beginning there at this point that it's something maybe people wouldn't have known much about. Yes. There does seem to have been in the last couple of years a more aware, like a greater awareness that inclusion actually does really mean a lot to people. And it means and it also helps organisations. I think there's a, there's, that's fair to say, too. It's not just one way. It is good for business because if you're not inclusive, you exclude talent. 
talent doesn't come. Talent looks very different. Talent behaves differently. But you want to attract the best talent. And if you don't, if you're not inclusive, you won't attract that talent. So whether that's been inclusive by your flexible working hours, whether that's been inclusive by, you know, somebody may need a small accommodation in work through it could be a physical disability. They, they just need something small that may help them. Um, but also diversity is, is, we have the visible diversity and then we have a lot of diversity that's not visible. How we think, how, where we're from, where we're educated, our experiences. You know, I often say, for an example, I used to often explain to people, if you hire every engineer from UCD, probably all, they've all been educated and thinking a certain way. But if you hire engineers from Trinity, from UCD, from, you know, Cork or Limerick or different universities, they'll come with different backgrounds and different ways of doing things. And that's really important. If we all think the same way, we won't be innovative and we won't be creative. Diverse teams are way more innovative, way more creative and much better business results. Do you think it's um, harder for smaller companies? Uh, for example, if they have to accommodate people who want to work from home or maybe maybe give someone a break because of a personal issue. You might, you do hear sometimes SMEs when you measure, say even for a parental leave coming in saying, how can we afford this? We are three or four people. So we can't really, really financially deal with this flexibility. You, you know, it's sometimes they kind of is a view that the bigger companies can talk about it and maybe implement really good policies. But the smaller employers then are left at a disadvantage because it costs too much money for them. Yeah, so I, I think... It goes back again, looking to your talent. If you've got five people and you're a small company, you need the best five people that are there. And those five people, if they all look, think and sound the same, you're not going to be very creative or innovative and you probably won't find the best solution. So it is a challenge. Um, and I think it does depend on the job, whether somebody can work remotely or not. Um, but I think most jobs, we all do conference calls, um, we all have the technology and so it's back to using the right technology allows people to, to work from anywhere. Um, and I also think when you are more flexible um, with people, I worked in Accenture for a number of years and I had a four day week. I had huge loyalty, you know, and it was the same when I joined Dell. You have huge loyalty to a company who makes life a bit easier for you, who helps you to be successful. And do you think the younger generation there's this discussion about whether or not they value financial rewards or do they really value rewards like that, like maybe giving them work-life balance? Mm. Is that something that, you know, newer workers are more inclined to value? I, I think I think they are. And I, I think it's very different. You know, every generation is different. And I think as a company, you need to be very much aware of the research that's happening around the generation, because I think this is at the moment, we have so many different generations in the workforce. So you've got people with different values, you've got people with different experiences, different expectations. And and that's fairly challenging as an employer. So I think the key thing is you have to keep talking to your employees and you've got to find out what's relevant, what works for them, because what worked for you might not work for me, you know. And somebody will say, oh, two women, do they have the same expectations? They may or they may not, you know. So it is definitely challenging when you've got all these different generations. It's not easy. Um, and you do have to invest in diversity, but I think the results will speak for themselves. Um, in terms of policy and support that can be done by countries, individual countries, we talked at the beginning about how Dublin ranks quite poorly um, out of 50. Maybe we would like it to be higher, I'm sure. Is there anything that can be done 
from a, a government point of view um, or from from even from a business community point of view to try and move this along? What are the kind of steps we should be taking to make this a bit better? To make it better for women entrepreneurs? Um, so I, I think you need to look at it from a number of different angles. Um, there's no one there's no one solution that ever has been anything around gender gender balance. So I, I think if you look at what, what Ireland is doing, um, there's a new um, Better Balance for Business, a new government initiative. It's, it's led by Breed Horan and um, Gary Kennedy. And our own EMEA president is also on the board. They just released some data all around um, highlighting the level of women at very senior positions in companies. And they've set some goals so I, at the moment, it is about 20% of women um, on boards in Ireland. They want to get to 33%, but it's about 2023. So and I think they've done that very well as they have incremental growth each year because change takes time to do it right. Um, they've got business leaders working on this board, which is really, really important. So it's from the government. So I think, yes, you need your government initiatives. I also mentioned like what Canada is doing around funding for women. Really, really crucial. I think you've got the investment community needs to realise the challenges. You need more women going for funding, but you need more women making those investment decisions as well. So institutions really need to be looking at having that balance, you know, across all the different levels and on their boards. Um, I think organisations make a difference. Um, what we as Dell do makes a difference, us being more inclusive, because I think other companies will look to us, smaller companies, our peers, our other organisations in Ireland, the other tech companies. You know, an example is Connecting Women in Technology, um, which I think was Dell, Microsoft and Accenture were the founding members a long time ago. That's now, you know, there's a huge number of organisations involved in that. They're doing things that are better. So I think you've organisations, you've got businesses, you've got universities. You know, they need to be making a difference. You've got the schools, like our programmes going out to... Um, our digital futures where we go out to particularly schoolgirls talking to them about careers in STEM. You've got programs like STEM Aspire where organisations mentor um, students, Pride Aspire, where they mentor LGBTQ students. Um, so there's lots of different ways. There is no one solution, but I definitely think you need government, very strong programs from government, strong programs from business, um, schools, universities. It's got to go through. And then I think it's what each and every person does too. That's great. Thanks for joining us today, Ingrid. Thank you, Samantha. That's it for this episode of the Women in Tech podcast series, powered by 100% electric Nissan Leaf. We'll hear more stories from Irish women dispelling myths and breaking down barriers in the tech world next week. And don't forget, you can also catch up on all the latest insights and interviews from the tech world with Adrian Weckler on The Big Tech Show on independent.ie, Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple and Google podcasts. I'm Samantha McCochran and thanks for listening. The Women in Tech podcast brought to you by 100% Electric Nissan Leaf.